0: I am excited to introduce our next guest, Jimmy Song. Jimmy, how goes it, my friend?
1: It goes well. It goes well. Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while.
0: It has. You've been you've been all over the world. You've been enjoying yourself. I was honestly, I'm, I'm grateful you're joining us. I know that your great great city is now hosting the 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 Bitcoin conference of the of the season, if I if I may say so. So tell us, where where have you been? What have you been up to?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I, I went on vacation with my family, you know, checked out London and uh, Scotland and stuff like that. And I, I know you're a big soccer fan, so I, I actually checked. I went to a Premier League game that was one of my bucket list items and, and watched Tottenham destroy Southampton 4-1. So that that was kind of fun. Yeah.
0: Are you a Tottenham fan?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm Korean, so, you
0: know. Fair. fair. Yeah, Chris yeah, is yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in... <laughs> Bit block boom! hearing this and celebrating I myself am a very passionate Gooner fan and we are the best team in the Premier League for good reason right now. We have reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I think the Derby will be happening soon enough. So, uh, Exactly.
0: I mean, look, yeah. if, if we weren't if we didn't score nine points in those first three matches against the quality of teams we played against, that would be more concerning. But
1: yeah, uh, I mean, you didn't have to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, so yeah, that's that's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it,
0: it, it's okay. It's a it's a long season. We got thirty five more weeks of it. But
1: yeah, indeed, uh, indeed.
0: I wanna I wanna ask what are you what are you most looking forward to? Because you're talking a bit block boom as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually have to go finish my presentation after this. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, my my mine is titled Fiat The Est, and I'll pretty much be taking a lot of the articles that I've written over the last, I don't know, four and a half months on for Bitcoin Magazine, and then you know compiling it into some coherent presentation that hopefully makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, but, you know. The, the, this is the life of every presenter. You, you procrastinate, you try to, you know, do things, you know, it's been percolating. I just have to write it down basically. That's
0: it. Yeah. I, I feel like at this point, given how many different talks and conversations you've had, like you, by saying you're going to prepare, you're literally going to write like three bullet points on a note card and like maybe put together a slideshow.
1: Yeah, something like that. That's that that's you know the, the dirty secret of all of these talks is that you you put it together at the last minute and you know sometimes the, the thing though is that there's something about performing, right? There's some and I, I think anyone that's like given talks or or done done stuff like this, like or even like the show where which is live. There's something magical that happens when you when you're sort of like forced to confront an audience. And it's it brings out the best because you have that pressure. So like the the thing that like CJ Wilson told me a while back, which I, I, I really identify with. He said, you know, we are talking about, you know, how fast is your fastball? And he's like, yeah, 95, 96, something like that. And I'm like, we're, we're like, wow, okay, like like how like can you show us what you would do? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah. And it's like, so when you practice, do you get it there? He's like, no, you don't, you don't, you don't get 96 miles per hour when you're practicing. We're like, why? Because you don't have the pressure. You need you need to be, you need to have some stake to really bring your best fastball. That's what I feel like with these things is that when you go on stage and when you're when you're really delivering something, the best doesn't come out until you're on that stage because of that pressure. And there's some people that crumble under that pressure. I think for me, I tend, I, well, I'd like to think that it elevates me when I have an audience, right? Because there, there's reactions, there's uh, there's other things. And I, and I know, I you know, sometimes I bomb, right? Like there are times when I wanted to say something well, and I don't know, maybe I didn't have drinking a coffee or something, but, you know, it, it's just not there. And then there are other times I'm like, I, I nailed that one and it's like and you can you can feel it and it, and it's that which is i, I can see why like stand up comics and people like that they they just they get addicted to that audience right like that 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 experience because in a sense it's like the most real feedback that you are ever going to get unlike you know say central bankers or whatever
0: no that makes sense i mean i i loved that analogy with cj and like I would even go so far to say, like something as simple as adrenaline just pumping through your system in the middle of a competition with a crowd screaming behind you, like having a even a hundred eyes just listening to what you say, watching everything you do. Just it makes you either rise to the occasion or crumble and fall. I love that. I'm excited to. To hear how that goes, but it's it sounds like it's going to be a lot of our conversation. So, h- how can we help you? How what are <laughs> what are the things that is eating up your mind right now that you're going to inevitably talk about on this stage?
1: I, I'm, I'm I think everybody agrees that fiat, the fiat monetary system is really sucky, um, and I, I don't think that's a hard sell, especially to a crowd like at Black Boom. The thing that I I, I think me and almost everybody else that's presenting that you want to do is sort of like take it to the next level, right? Like, how are you going to really communicate this in a way that they can take home and say to other people that will make complete sense and will really sort of like take the narrative to, you know, the, the next place that it needs to go to. Right now, I think, you know, we, we've gone on this like long arc of Bitcoin where it, it started as, you know, this sort of like interesting internet currency to, you know, savings and store of value. And I think, you know, right now it's at this point of it's more moral than the current monetary system. How do you take that next step, right? Like what what's, what's the and that that's that's really where I think this presentation really needs to go is, okay, how do how do we push the ball forward? Because you know the the narrative's been changing, and I I think we've we've sort of brought the community along into this place where it's yeah we we do have the moral high ground. How do we keep it? And that that that's really where it's like okay, we really have to destroy Fiat, and that that's the title of my talk is Fiat the Lenda Est, and. It's a phrase I made up, right? Like, it, and it, it, it's really nonsense in Latin because fiat is a verb and, uh, you know, so is S. So you got two verbs and a, a and a noun. Whereas in English, it's got, you know, like it, it's like fiat is a noun or an adjective or something like that. So like getting getting that sort of instilled, that that mentality that fiat really needs to be destroyed because it is just so evil that that we're we're seeing all of the stuff that's happening right now. We and if we successfully pin it on fiat, which I think it deserves, then I think we have something. And you know, I don't know. So that's a tall order for my talk, but that's that's what I want to do. And hopefully everyone that's gonna be there, you can kind of get an idea of what I'm going for.
0: No, but that that's a really important talk. And I think I think what you're doing is you're almost, you're creating this call to action because we have, we have all the slogans that we all pass around to each other or say to our friends or say to, to friends that we want an orange pill, but at times it feels like we don't really know is, is the next push forward supposed to be like from the grassroots effort. Is, is it supposed to be new technology, new use cases that we create and build? Is it supposed to be something coming out of the legislative area or, or how do we move the ball forward? What is that next step? And I'm curious, I threw out two examples out of what could be countless other ways in which we can help expand adoption and push forward Bitcoin. I'm curious where or what your expectations are for like the next four-year cycle, in essence, and mm. where the biggest push forwards could come from yeah
1: I mean those are always hard to predict I mean we never would have guessed El Salvador four years ago but that's that's what it became and that that's uh, you know or Michael Saylor or anything like that the thing is the the people that adopt it are the people you least expect and they kind of come out of left field so I, I I don't know but I I do know that it'll be individuals that will be adopting it and they'll be pushing the ball forward and you know what that narrative looks like or how what connects with people that that's the real sort of like market process at play here because in in a sense like what we have to do is find the narrative that that people can really connect with and really identify with and make sense to them and is true and really gets them to action because that that's really where we are right now is I think we have some level of parity with fiat in sort of like a mental sense. Like, there's no narrative anymore about how, oh, you know, Bitcoin's so evil because it's used as drug money or whatever. I, I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, fiat money is pretty bad and it enables a lot of things that, I, you know, that are immoral. So, like you know, starting to flip that moral high ground, it's, it's now about, you know, kind of undermining the fiat system and getting to the point where we can really, we can really win, right? Like we're, we're starting to win, right? I think. And we, we have to sort of take advantage of it and start fighting not on our own ground where people are attacking us. and like right? Most of those have been repelled easily. We, we have to start taking more ground outside. And I don't know what that exactly looks like.
0: No, that, that's that's more than fair. I know I, I'm trying to get better about not asking so many speculative questions. Although, if, <laughs> if I ever meet someone who has all the right answers to my speculative questions, I'm going to take them to Vegas with me because I got some money. I'm going to put you uh-huh. park there. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, I want to have this conversation with you. We we've done it once before a little bit, but given given the recent news and the announcement of the federal student loan program and Biden's plans, I want to unpack it a little bit with you. And, and I'm going to preface it by by admitting wholeheartedly, I I had about twenty one thousand dollars total left. Nineteen thousand of that was federal. I was a Pell Grant recipient, and because of this, I will now no longer have student loan debt. Like the last thousand dollars, I'm going to just pay off this month mm-hmm. or next month when I, when I feel like it. I recognize at its core, all this is is a stimulus check or even a bailout akin to what Bank of America got back in 2008 or akin to GM following them or even the airlines, like American Airlines two years ago. It, to me, it, it reads no different at, at its core. Um, I do, however, feel my bias is is leading me towards this absolutely that this is at least a better construct that if it's going to, if you're going to give money out rather than giving it to these corporations that were mismanaged and rather allow the market to dictate they fucked up you have these student loans that in certain situations where it's far too much students can't even declare bankruptcy on them like the loans themselves weren't designed well enough to allow for the market to correct itself, I don't think this is a solution. This isn't even a band-aid in my opinion. The root issue is not solved. I agree with all of those points. I'm just curious in your opinion, where where do we go from here? We, we have reports that the Federal Reserve is already putting out that the debt limit is now ballooned drastically as a result of this. We're going to decrease the amount of tax revenue and interest payment revenue that the government was expected. We've essentially slashed an asset off of our balance sheet. I'm I'm just kind of curious, like what what you think of how this situation will play out economically. I
1: mean, it's it's kind of like you said. It's no different than a fiscal stimulus. It's no different than the six hundred dollar stimmy checks we got. It's just targeted at different people and quite frankly at people that made poor economic (laughs) decisions in in attending college a lot of the people that have these student loans they didn't even finish right like the those are uh not necessarily people you're gonna want to bail out They're they made pretty bad decisions but you know i mean that's that's his way of buying votes i have lots of qualms from sort of like a constitutional standpoint how is it that the president can do this unilaterally without Congress. And how is it that he's able to forgive loans that he didn't make? Right. Like if like I, it, like forgiveness or at least that word implies that you're the offended party or you're the one that that did the loaning. He, he's not he's he wasn't even in office or whatever and it wasn't done by him. It was a federal su- student loan program that was issued by banks. So, you know, like there there are all sorts of weird things around this, but it really isn't anything more than a stimulus. It's just, you know, printing more money and removing it from the balance sheet of individuals who have student loan debt and putting it on the federal balance sheet. But it's, uh, it's essentially going to expand the money supply because now they... Don't have that uh, those loans anymore. They're no longer on those books. They're just on other books. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 not really forgiveness per se. Yeah, I, I, I it's really no different than any other government spending to me, especially the kind that's deficit spending, which this inevitably will be. And he, it looks to me politically like he's buying votes, right?
0: <laughs> he's one uh, he,
1: hundred. Yeah, we know that college graduates uh favor Biden. We know that you know, women favor Biden. They're and both those constituencies tend to have more student debt, not not in least part because more women go to college and graduate from college now. So, and they're more, less likely to take the higher paying jobs out of college. So, I mean, like this is this is straight vote buying to me and I don't know, it's Call me cynical, but th- I mean this is kind of what my last last article was about. Fiat politics suck, and this is this is part of con- the consequences of that. If you're not part of this group, then you're getting screwed, and it's you know not going to be obvious, but you're going to be paying more money somewhere at the grocery store. And if you pay back your loans, you're even more screwed because <laughs> you could have had free money, but you don't qualify now. So, I mean, the the this is I I I don't. I don't make too big of a deal out of it because it's kind of what I've come to expect. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm kind of cynical.
0: No, like, look, you're, you are more than entitled to your opinion and I know my, my biases lead me to have my opinion and like my incentive is literally to, and I want to ask you this question because like I, I hated The bailouts of the banks. I hated the bailout to the car companies. I've hated every single corporate bailout. In this instance, where I now get bailed out, I'm okay with it because it's me. Is there this? Is there a growing issue of if you recognize the system is flawed, but can benefit from the system, should you? use the system to your advantage or should you remove yourself entirely from the system?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think morally the better thing to do is to remove yourself from the system. And I, I take great inspiration with Ron Paul. And as you know, he was a many term congressman. Dr. No is what they called him because he would vote no on all kinds of spending and stuff like that. But he's also a medical doctor. And and one of the things that he did, which gives me so much respect for him, is that in his practice, he refused to take Medicare, Medicaid, or, or any federal health program. He, he just refused. He's like, I, I'm not going to be a part of this. I, I mean, I think he knew the economic results would mean that, you know, like there would be, it, it, it would lead to a lot more people getting treated on Medicare and a lot more doctors, that do that sort of thing but he didn't want any part of it so he he you know any new doctor that would come into his practice he would just say okay well here are the rules we're not taking any medicare we're not taking any medicaid you know if you want to work for me then you know that that's that's how we're we're gonna take private health insurance but that's about it and that's what he did and that that's i think what a person of integrity would do and you know like I get it. You're, you got, you got this student loan and it's being forgiven. And I don't think you even have to apply for it. Right. Like, it's just going to be canceled or something like that. You don't, you don't that have to me do anything. Now.
0: I, I, yeah,
1: I, I, and, I mean, just kind of like the stimulus checks that I received, right. Like, it just sort of comes in the mail. It's like, what, it's already deposited into my bank account. I, uh, it, it's part of the system. I like, you know, you, you, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do or what not to do. Just don't like go around promoting like forgiveness for student loans. I think you'll be okay. But, you know, I, I would like to think that more of us want to be like Ron Paul and sort of stand on principle. But, you know, that said, like, how do you even give that money back or say, okay, I'm going to pay off this loan or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know if you can. And it's all kind of a corrupt game already. So it's like I I can see the argument for well, like if if I'm gonna, you know, let's 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 not give everybody else an advantage and penalize myself. You know, I I get that. But yeah, it's the this this is the ridiculousness of fiat politics. Is that it, it makes for the, the, the sort of like division because of the money at play. It divides people and it's, it shouldn't because it's not about class against class or one group against another. It, it shouldn't be, but that's what they make it because the money's there to be redistributed, right? We're gonna take from here and give it to the, these people. And that's unfortunately exacerbated by fiat money.
0: Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP Whales in the Deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at bitcoinmagazinepro.com. So, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like I feel like every every individual has certain things that they themselves are willing to go out and do. And then there are other things that they candidly just don't want to deal with. And it could be stuff as simple as like, I don't want to have to deal with going and finding a source of water. If, I, if that means I have to pay a certain tax to wherever I live because they're going to handle that for me, I, I'm comfortable paying that. Same goes, frankly, with like maintaining and building my roads. I'm curious for you if there is anything that you would prefer to not do yourself what that would be and in turn how would you go about handling that without the state
1: yeah i it's always all all about the price right like if if, like you might not want to handle water but you're also getting water at like an insanely cheap price right like if you had to pay somebody to go draw water from a neighborhood well and bring it back you wouldn't first of all, not use nearly as much water. And you'd be paying a lot more per liter of it, right? Like, the, So <clears throat> there, there is a price at which that's not going to be worth it for you either. It's just that the government makes it artificially cheap by using fiat money to steal from a bunch of people. Similar thing with roads, you know, like, if you had to pay way more for the same road you probably wouldn't want the state to take care of it it's and this is the beauty of the market process is people will pay what makes sense for them and if enough people want to use it and pay for it then then you know you have a business and The thing is, without the state, you would still have water, you know, available to your house or whatever. Now, that may take very different forms and the price might be very different and whatever. But there are always alternatives. I mean, like even if like no one's delivering water to your house, you might be able to set up some sort of like rain catching mechanism on the roof of your house and like some filtration system, something like that, or have water delivery, you know, physically or some some other thing that that, that's possible. There, There are all sorts of ways in which alternatives will come about. The problem with the state is that it has a monopoly, and it sets the price, and it's not very efficient. And it imposes one price on everybody. And you don't really have a choice when it comes to, you know, their services. And that that makes it inefficient and costs more than it should. And this is where or cost too little. And this is where, you know, it, it would be very helpful to have a market. And, you know, now what, what, what does that look like? I don't know that that's up to all the entrepreneurs that see the opportunity to take advantage of. But, you know, I, the that's how it works in everything, right? Like, if I want cowboy hats, there's a certain amount that I'm willing to pay that, you know, uh, for a certain quality of hat. And I, I, do the shopping and that's and if i think the utility of a cowboy hat is higher than the money that i'm spending then i'll go buy it and similar on the other side if the utility of the money that they're getting versus what they're making makes sense then they'll they'll make that trade and that that's a lot better and creates more wealth overall than you know state-based things
0: I really wish I knew how to work. Rum- I mean, restream a lot better so I could pull D three four eight comment, which says "Never stop wearing cowboy hats, Jimmy." Jimmy, I don't believe you and I had a chance to to break down the Fiat politics article. It's, it has been a little while. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to go down this rabbit hole with you. I have no one to stop me from going down the political conversation. So that's what we're going to do today. Talk to us a little bit. Or I want to start first with. Super PACs and just the donation structure that is behind the current <laughs> political system. Like, whether or not you agree with him, Roger Stone is a character straight out of a comic book, in my opinion. He is like Lex Luthor, but somehow actually more villainous in a real human being. The father of the entire super PAC system we have today. Curious how you feel like. This feels like to me that the epitome of fiat politics is the way the donations come and go. I'd love your thoughts there.
1: Yeah, American politics is a little bit strange because we don't have explicit bribes. We have implicit bribes. <laughs> and th- this largely happens through super PACs and things like that. And instead of getting your money up front, you get it afterwards as like a lobbyist or something like that. And you make your money, I guess, "Quote unquote," more honestly that way, but it, but it is what it is. It's it's a it's a it's a bribe, and the super PACs and many of these things are essentially ways to sort of come around that. the The big problem here is that there is a prize to be won, and that prize is the ability to control the money printer or to figure out how to spend the money that the money printer makes, and those are. Very powerful incentives. And you you're going to get a lot more people caring about politics because it starts taking over more and more of your life, which unfortunately has happened over the last 50 years. So super PACs are just, you know, one small part of this whole system. You know, the people that want certain things are going to want to, you know, do what they can to get it. And from a market calculation, if it costs more to I mean, if something is worth X amount of dollars to them and it costs Y and Y to do a super pack or whatever else and Y is less than X, then you're going to go do it. That's just, you know, how market incentives work. Now, if they didn't have like infinite money into super packs, they, they'd find some other way to use it. So, I mean, in that sense, it's whatever. But that that's what you're seeing is this game theory playing out of incentives, where if you spend enough money on lobbying, you can kind of get the outcomes that you want. And if you get the outcome that you want, then, you know, that's worth a, a larger amount to you. Now, the whole process is destructive as hell. And that's something that I point out in the politics article is that, you know, market transactions and things like that are much more, you know, wealth building. Politics, it's like wealth destroying, right? Like you, you can spend, you know, ten million dollars on lobbying for some subsidy that gets you hundred million, but that that hundred million is just being stolen from a lot of people. So you, you've got ninety million for yourself, but in a sense, you you've created a wave of destruction of value by causing all of the all of this money to be stolen and making other industries less competitive or less uh, value adding. So it, it causes all sorts of evil. And that that's kind of the point is that politics, because of fiat money's presence, because of this prize that's out there, it, it just it, it becomes a civilization destroying thing. And that's unfortunate. And you know, the better way is to get rid of fiat money. If
0: if only we can just get Jimmy Song to be president, like it doesn't even need to be a full for a full four-year term. I like just, you know, quick quick little one month, take down the whole fiat system and then off to retirement on your on your ranch somewhere.
1: <laughs> I don't think that would work. First of all, presidents don't have that much power. And you kind of saw it with the Donald Trump presidency and even the Joe Biden presidency. And you know. I I was reading about how Trump wanted to get out of Somalia really badly. And he's like, can't we just leave? And all these internal people wouldn't let him. (laughs) There's a whole deep state that exists to keep you in line, basically. And in a sense, I see Joe Biden's presidency as sort of like a reflection of that, like they don't even need like a live body, right? Like he, he could be dead for all we know. He could be like the first weekend that Bernie's like president or whatever. Doesn't matter. Like he he he, he doesn't need to really exist. He's just almost literally a figurehead. And and you know, all the stuff that's happening around them are strings pulled by other people. And that's I think how it's been for a while. It, it's just that we we tend to focus our attention on whoever happens to hold the office, but they don't actually have that much power because the fiat system is sort of like, it's almost like an entity onto itself that enslaves all these other people. And this is kind of a cool concept that I learned a while back. And it's from Jacques Yalal's book, The Technological Society. And his argument is that, they're systems that once they get started, they take on sort of like a life of their own. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've kind of felt this. If you've ever been in a band or a sports team or something like that, you have the team, right? And everybody in the band or the sports team can turn over, but the spirit of the team somehow remains. And it's like they they there's like a whole entity that's outside yourself that sort of like is is the thing that everyone's fighting for. Almost everything is kind of like that. There there's a momentum to to government or the deep state or whatever you want to call it that has control or that that almost like functions on its own. It's it's it, it almost has a mind of its own other than any of its members. And we, we tend to think that they're under our control, but it's actually the other way around. We're under their control. There, there's a purpose to this larger organization that we submit to. And for the deep state, it, it continues to grow because they're growing fat on the, you know, on all of the fiat money that's available through bureaucracy and rent seeking. And you could think of every bureaucrat as sort of like a part of that system. Somebody that's enslaved by this giant, bureaucracy thingy that 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 has a a life of its own and the motivation of that entity is to keep perpetuating itself and every member within it keeps wanting to perpetuate it and and that's basically what we have with the us government and this this is the sad reality is that fiat money is their food right like if you have fiat money it'll grow enormous and it's it's not something that you can really stop very easily even cutting back a little bit you know going back to the budget of even 10 years ago is like almost an impossibility in congress for that reason there's there's a momentum to this thing and it only really goes in one direction the only way to really kill it is to starve the beast and unfortunately this whole political system is sort of like an outgrowth of that. These are the games that you have to play with this beast and the beast is stronger than ever and continues to, you know, feast on our, the value that we've made, we've created, and it's eating civilization right along with it. It's
0: it's an interesting period of society to live in because it, it's as though all of these things that have existed for, for decades, if not centuries, are finally coming to light. And it's like the, the end of this cycle. It's exciting. We, we do this work not for ourselves, but for future generations. I want to I wanna keep going down this this sort of rabbit hole of the incentives in politics and how Bitcoin can help shift those incentives. My personal thing is... The accountability of money, where if everything was operated on a Bitcoin standard, the accountability would drastically increase overnight. That's just one facet of this. I'm I'm curious your thoughts and and where Bitcoin fits into this.
1: Well, Bitcoin makes for honest trade, and this is the big thing about politics. It's not an honest trade because you, you know, I, I think there's a quote about like you know. If you're you're using your own money for your own benefit, you're going to be very careful and figure out the trade-offs between how much it costs and what value you're getting and make sure that those are in alignment. If you're using somebody else's money for your own benefit, you're going to spend however much because essentially it's somebody else's money. If you're using your own money for somebody else's benefit, then you're going to be as cheap as possible. but if you're using somebody else's money for somebody else's benefit, then you have no motivation whatsoever. And that's unfortunately the position that we put every government bureaucrat. You're, put, you're, you're taking somebody else's money for the benefit of other people. So you're not getting any benefit or it's not costing you in any way. So all economic calculation is removed from your decision making, in which case, What are you going to care about? Well, you're going to care about all sorts of other things. Like for a lot of bureaucrats, it is getting up the status ladder, right? Or having more influence or, you know, getting better press or something like that. And those are the things that drive them. And if you've ever worked with a nonprofit or people that work in government or anything like that, this frustration is seriously real because, you know, at least in places like India or whatever, you just pay a bribe and it's fine. At least you know what their motivation is. Like working with a bureaucracy where you don't know their motivation is extremely frustrating. You can't get anything done because you you have no idea what they want. Unfortunately, that's, that's, that's a situation a lot of these things, you know, these government things are in. And it, it makes for a very frustrating time. And this is why people can't get any things done because... You know, with money, the motivations are much easier to fathom and incentives are easier to fathom. And, you know, you you make up for deficiencies with more money or you make up for the deficiency of money with other things. That, that that's how things work. And it's it's a lot easier to reason about and to plan about around in a government, you know, situation with like no motivations about costs or benefits, it, it becomes very political. And that's essentially what my article is talking about. And, you know, you study any socialist country or anything like that. And this is a much bigger problem in those places than it is in the US. And, and you can clearly see it. It's like, okay, well, how do we figure out how much of this to get or how much of that to get or whatever? And people have no problem like spending enormous amounts of resources because it's not their money. It's just somebody else's. There's, uh, there's no self-regulation whatsoever. I, I, I was reading about how in Soviet Russia, there would be, you know, all the the way everything was organized was that there there would be a particular ministry that would need to do a particular thing. But they they largely centralized the production of certain things, and if you ask for another ministry for I don't know a ton of steel or something like that, um, it would take forever and you wouldn't get it in on time, and then your whatever you're trying to produce would would be in jeopardy. So what would happen is that that ministry would start making their own steel just so they can meet their own quotas, right? And this is like duplication of effort and all this other stuff that socialism and communism was supposed to take away. In addition, even though the steel mill might be right next door, right? They they wouldn't be able to procure it because you know it has to go through this bureaucracy. So if there was steel that was more readily available to that ministry, like all the way across the country, they would just ship it. So all these like train lines would be clogged up with like stuff going back and forth, which would be enormously inefficient. Now in a capitalist system, this all gets solved with prices, right? Because steel from 3000 miles away is going to be more costly than steel from next door. And you would be able to figure out, okay, well, like, Let's make sure that you make a profit and I make a profit. So, you know, we'll we'll do this or whatever. And this is a cost benefit analysis that every person in a capitalist system engages in. But instead, with government, with bureaucracy, with fiat system, with politics, there is almost none of that. In fact, the only cost benefit analysis that tends to happen is in how much more power can I get? How do I get what I want? And it's opaque, not obvious at all. And it takes a lot longer and there's a lot more friction. So in that sense, I, you know, the idea that government can be better at anything is just laughable because you, you don't, government or anything is made up of people and their incentives are not going to be in alignment in these systems where you don't have cost-benefit analyses.
0: I wonder though, like, and I'm not, I would much rather see the state be done with and we were, I think we have overcorrected and the next course correct is smaller groups and civilizations. I'm curious though, if for some classes of people or for certain individuals who value certain things, having a government have far too much control over their day-to-day lives, maybe what they require and just need to operate. Do you think there can be a system where much like the way we talk in the sovereign, much like the way the sovereign individual talks about how there will be different jurisdictions that will draw people in for reasons, could there be a coexistence of truly state-run jurisdictions and then truly sovereign jurisdictions or will the state run jurisdictions just try to take control of everything
1: well i think smaller states are inevitable so you know places like the united states and the european union and you're you're starting to see some cracks in a lot of that right like with the uk with brexit and all these like independence movements all over you know europe and stuff like that the monolithic state is not a natural thing. If you the only reason you had them was, or at least in feudal times and stuff, was so that you would be able to tax a larger area and so on. But the current reason is mostly around economic unity and that requires sort of like a common currency and so on. I don't think that's the natural state of things. And under a harder money standard, I I don't see if that gets removed as a big reason, you get smaller states. And if you have smaller states, then you're going to have a lot more choices. You know, you, you might have a completely socialist state over here and you have another state over there that's way more freedom-based or whatever. That was actually the original design of the United States. Every state was supposed to be sovereign on on itself. And then you had a loose confederation and that was the articles of confederation, right? Like that was the initial design of the United States until, you know, they were like, okay, we got to do something about all this debt and all this other stuff. And we might just break apart and, they, they came up with the Constitution and still tried to preserve that state sovereignty stuff. But that's, that, that got more or less wiped out under Lincoln and completely solidified under FDR. So smaller states, I think, will allow you to experiment. And you know, even in the limited amount of experimenting that we're able to do, you can see what's happening. You can see a lot of people move away from New York and California to Texas, for example, and you know to and to Tennessee and to Florida. Tho- those are ways in which we can see what works and what doesn't. And eventually, economic value will also flow out of those places. And this is with like enormous advantages that California has. They're they're still losing people. That tells you how bad their policy actually must be. So all all that is to say that you know like i i just want a market of this stuff instead of one imposed on me and that's i think what most people want too and if you have different beliefs yeah go try something else instead of having one rule for everybody like try different rules yeah i i think that's a good thing
0: i want to i want to bring up a story and i don't know how familiar you are with this, but I want to play devil's advocate on the idea of states picking where resources go. While I wholeheartedly do not agree with it, I do think there are instances that have proven historically that a state can actually execute resources in the right way and in turn create opportunity as an end result. Specifically, I wanted to bring up South Korea's plans to build steel mills That they started back in 1965. And this was a I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but the the short version is they wanted to build these steel mills and nobody wanted to give them financing and they continued to offer benefits to different foreign companies, foreign nationals to just like, come to come here, we will give you the land, we will give you tax breaks, whatever you need to build this infrastructure here in our country, no country would buy it. And eventually the Pohang Iron and Steel Company was set up in 1968 by the state. And it transformed to the point that by the mid 80s, it was considered one of the most cost efficient producers of low grade steel in the world. By the 90s, it was one of the world's leading steel companies. And then it was privatized in 2001 not for poor performance, but for political reasons. And and today, this book is from 2010. Today is the fourth largest steel producer in the world by quantity of output. I know that it's really easy to discount stories like this as like, they got it right once and look at the thousands of other times they've gotten it right. But do we sometimes owe it to nations when they are trying to develop and they see opportunities like this to take those chances. And I want, to, I want to bring it back to Bitcoin like this. We hear a lot of these attacks against Bukele from human rights advocates. There are similar attacks to what the leaders of the prime minister of Singapore saw during his sort of growth in that country. And that country had a very quote unquote authoritarian leader but that authoritarian leader led them to be what now is considered the Western hub of Asia um, and a, a very large technological hub and access point for the West into Asia. Uh, and I, Bukele has said as much. He He's modeling El Salvador off of Singapore and wants to turn El Salvador to that hub for Central and South America. But this is a state-run thing. Like This is Bukele doing as the state. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts in that aspect, where there are examples where the state has done it right. There are Examples where the state has gotten it wrong. Do we trust outside now of fiat politics, outside of American politics, at least? How do we, how do we justify some of these actions? I
1: don't. I think that's still evil. I, I don't care that they they created this giant steel industry or whatever. It's not that different than like a fiat subsidized airline or something like that. I I, I think it's taking resources from other people and pouring it into what you think might work or whatever. Now did it create value absolutely they 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 are a very very good steel manufacturer but what the the counterfactual is the thing that we don't know what would have happened if they didn't do that if they didn't have insane amounts of resources going into the steel industry would Korea be in an even better position if there was more entrepreneurship if it was there if there was other industries that could have thrived would Hyundai be making the best cars in the world right now instead of you know say Toyota or something like that would there be like you know lots of other sort of innovations that would that that could have come about if they didn't focus so much on steel the the problem isn't so much that this succeeded I mean they're their success by whatever measure, it's that there's there's inevitably inefficiencies in government-run things that we don't really get to see. And this is one of them. I, I mean, I'm sure there were lots of mistakes that they made that a normal market wouldn't have made and a lot of you know people's rights that were violated a lot of you know people's effort and energy that were wasted rather than you know on that rather than something else that would have been more beneficial to adding value to not just the people of South Korea but all over the world so it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, look, here, here's what they made. And, you know, it's obvious that these things were made, and therefore, you know, you have to count it as good. No, I, like you can say the same thing about the stimulus check, I got 600 bucks, I bought, I bought this, then this, that and the other. But you don't know the counterfactual, you don't know what would have happened had had you not done that, or, you know, had there been some other path, you know, and we don't know that counterfactual, and it could have been even better. And in fact, I suspect it would have been a lot better. It's it, and it's it's a weird argument to make because the it, it appeals to sort of like the people that see the outcomes and say, okay, well, then this is uh, this was clearly good because it did X, Y, or Z. You don't know if it could have done even more good had you not done it. And that's, that's unfortunately the argument that's been going around since FDR pretty much. It's like, oh, look, you know, we built, you know, the Tennessee Valley Authority and, you know, all these farmers, whatever. It's like, well, you actually study the economics. It's like, uh, like looking at trends, the counterfactual looks like if FDR and Hoover hadn't intervened at all, it would have been way, way better. But Nobody talks about that, or very few people talk about that because it's not a reality that we got to experience.
0: It's like the, the argument of, well, the banks, if they had failed in 2008, like, it would have been such a disaster. Like We don't know that. Really? We could have gotten a, a whole new system of lending and financial institutions that could have been better. And I will safely tell you that if Bank of America and the airlines were allowed to fail two years ago... We would have a far better experience at the airlines, especially this year.
1: I can safely
0: say that. With zero factual basis, just purely my intuition of a, a 20-year-old child in this world. Jimmy, go ahead, please.
1: Well, I I don't know. Like the the whole thing strikes me as like a lot of idle speculation and talking heads on TV, especially like to make these sorts of arguments but this is why i want more states and more experimentation and you can you can see what works when you do x versus y if you have and you know like the data points that we do have you know like any sort of like socialist stuff it tends to not work out very well like you know south korea may have created a really nice steel industry but you know, talk about all the Latin American and African countries that tried to start their own industry and completely bombed. And, you know, there was tons of embezzlement, bribery, like just all sorts of evil going on in a lot of those things. Nobody talks about those things. It, it's it's kind of a cherry picked example. And honestly, even that one, I think it, it, it could have been better in a free
0: market. So you know be no, I, I went 100% cherry like yeah. I went 100% literally <laughs> cherry picked it out of a book because I remembered that passage mm. but no you're you're absolutely right like I even I will admit that for every one of those stories you can find at least one if not probably more that just show you that the state made a decision that was in the worst interest or believed to be at this point in the worst interest of i of its citizens and its people. Jimmy, we're we're coming up on time and I want to give you the final word, to talk about we've talked about a lot here today. If there's anything in particular that we didn't get a chance to touch on.
1: Well, wait, why don't we go over the top ten? Well actually I think I made it a top twelve over here in the altcoins.
0: Oh yeah, the <laughs> the new altcoins coming to you soon. Okay. So <laughs>
1: not a lot of fun writing that one.
0: I, I'm gonna okay. There, there's one that I want to say for last, and I'm gonna message you something real quick in the chat. Mm. But I'll start with my favorite one, which was Woman Coin. One of my. <laughs> so, I I read a fantastic script where it, it's called Woke Coin, no. <laughs> and this guy like. He like pitched to a bunch of VCs. He's like, "It's woke coin. You get you get tokens for being woke," and Mm -hmm. they don't they don't hire him. He goes home to his fiance. His fiance breaks up with him, and then like in this like drunken rampage, he goes and changes the whole code of woke woke coin to man coin, and it's just like (laughs) the most like degenerate things possible. Get you more. It's honestly, it's a show that deserves to see the light of day one day, and then of course that the sucker recruit 10 people to get rewarded like could you just describe a ponzi scheme without saying the words ponzi scheme there jimmy i
1: i i just like the name because of the phrase you know there's a sucker born every minute or whatever but
0: yeah i, I, do, I do like that one i will give so my final one uh mm-hmm. bitcoin nakamoto uh, the truth is, and, and I'm gonna change it. So you had written a fork of Bitcoin for those that believe a16 Andreessen Horowitz uh, VC firm should own Satoshi's coins. Uh, I mean, I don't think Andreessen like Andreessen owns so many shit coins that he probably <laughs> thinks that they have so much value he doesn't need Bitcoin. Uh-huh. But I want I want to use that as a segue to essentially bring up a campaign that's gonna be going on tomorrow. It's gonna to be exclusively on Rumble because. We're afraid that YouTube will literally take our channel down. Mm. We are all HODLenaut. HODLenaut is fighting Craig Wright. There is a a trial going on in Norway over whether or not Craig Wright actually thinks he is Satoshi Nakamoto, or at least claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. There is a campaign to raise funds for HODLenaut's defense. As it turns out, the legal system in Norway requires HODLenaut to pay Craig Wright's legal fees until the end of the trial determining once it's determined how this sort of case pans out then the fees are are finalized at that point but for the meantime because he is the one being sued by Craig Wright in the laws of Norway that is how it works so there will be an ongoing campaign tomorrow on Rumble starting at i believe our normal start time of 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern time, but again, Rumble only. A few people that you know, love, respect will be participating. It will be hosted from Bitbop Boom itself. There's a defense Satoshi page, so please be sure to go and check that out as well. It's a very real issue. Like the crazy thing is, this trial. In the eyes of Norway, at least, will determine if Craig Wright is or is not Satoshi Nakamoto as he claims.
1: That will be interesting because I don't know if, if, I, if I've ever seen someone that is so obviously fake that that continues down this road of legal lawfare. But I mean, that, I guess that's that's how he's spending the money. He scammed money from other ones. Usually, they're happy like buying Lambos and stuff. But but this guy wants to spend it on lawsuits. Kind of a very strange thing to me.
0: It's as fiat as as they come, but I digress. It does begin, I I apologize. It begins at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So it's going to be a bright and early. I did not sign up for 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific time. That's for damn sure. But (laughs) I digress, guys. Uh, Thank you so, so much. If you guys don't follow Jimmy Song at this point, I really don't know what you do with all your time. As you can see, it's at Jimmy Song. Jimmy. Anything else for the audience to know?
1: I'll be speaking at Bitblock Boom on Saturday, and I'll be speaking at Baltic Honey Badger the week after. I will probably at some point write, you know, that finish the article that I've been working on. So, yeah,
0: looking forward to that one, Jimmy. And as always, thank you so much for your time. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global. With the inaugural European Gathering this fall, Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Voss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof-of-Workshop stage as well as exclusive content for VIP Whales in the Deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, So grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.